0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Staff here. And it's good to see you all here in the room. So welcome and welcome to all of you out in TV and internet land. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Do not adjust your TV sets. If the stream looks a little different this week, it's just the glare of the lights bouncing off my head. This is the first week we've had a bald speaker. So. Um, yeah, we're very, very, very glad that you all are here. And one of the things about our new arrangement these days, it's a little bit of a bummer is that, you know, we usually try to avoid a lot of, uh, you know, mingling for, you know, some of the safety precautions. And I've really missed that after church. And so if you're here and you're new and I don't catch you after service, we're really glad that you're here. And uh, one day we'll get to shake, <laughs> shake hands uh, again. Um, All right, so Adam and his family are out of town. Uh, Good for them. They need to get away every now and then. So um, I hope they're having a great morning. Wherever they are, if you guys are catching the stream, we miss you guys, but have fun. Um, I confessed to Adam, and I'll confess to you, uh, a little bit of a struggle I had preparing for this message, because what I I kept finding myself wanting to do was just get on a soapbox and talk about everything in the world that's getting on my nerves (laughs) right now, Um, which could be fun, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. My hope, of course, is that with the Lord's help, we can share something here that's grounded uh, in the scripture, but that's relevant to the moment. Uh, The church, obviously, has always been needed, I think that is fairly safe to say. The church has always been needed uh, since the time Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came and the church was established. From those days to today, the church has always been important and very much needed. But man, how much does the world need the church right now uh, with everything that is happening in the world? And I will be kind of honest I think we're blowing it a little bit. <laughs> I, think, I think the church uh, is, is struggling a bit. And today, for the most part, when I say the church, um, just know that I'm predominantly talking about the church, uh, the Western church, the American church in particular. Uh, I feel like we're blowing it a little bit. And as much, uh, well, I'm sorry, uh, man, my handwriting is terrible. Oh, how, how are we blowing it? Uh, well, one way that I think we're blowing it is, man, it just feels like the church right now is really hypersensitive. Uh, I feel like right now the church is really kind of in a, a super defensive mode and picking lots of battles that may or may not be particularly necessary. And I'll use one, just one example, just a couple weeks ago, um, the the governor here in uh, Kentucky had a conversation with uh, some of the, you know, a religious council of sorts and made a request, because, you know, some of the numbers were going up, and made a request uh, that churches consider for two weeks. Maybe not meeting in person, do your online, do your drive-in, but if you're going to meet, maybe just double down on some of your safety standards. Uh, so I, I won't get into all of the, the politics of everything, but if you had been on social media, you would have thought that he was going door-to-door, padlocking the churches, persecuting the church, right? And so we're in this weird state where we're lashing out and fighting all these battles, some of which, are we do we need to fight that specific battle? Some of the things that we seem to be really, really hypersensitive about. And so it's just such an interesting time. It reminds me a little bit of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And if you haven't seen it, there's a moment in the movie when the villain, uh, Henry Potter, says to the hero, George Bailey, that when the stock market market crashed, we were the only two that kept our heads. You kept the uh, the savings alone, I bought basically everything else. And so essentially, the people in the town had two people that they could go to for help. And he said, we were the only two people in town that kept our heads. And so my hope is that the church could be a George Bailey, that the church could keep its head on in these tumultuous times. Well, George Bailey before he wanted to jump off the bridge. The church would be George Bailey before uh, Uncle Billy lost the money. We'll say that. He used to be in the church before Uncle Billy. I'm giving a lot of spoilers. If you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, uh, I apologize. It's a Christmas movie. By the time Christmas rolls around, you will have forgotten everything that I said today. So, um, Yeah, but we should be the ones keeping our heads on straight during these times. We should be uh, secure. We should be a place that people can go uh, for stability. And I feel like we're missing the boat a little bit. But as much as I'd love to try and solve all the church's issues in 30 minutes, all the uh, issues that we're dealing with in this modern world, I've decided to focus on just one. Uh, And we're going to talk today about this. Here's the title today, Judge Not. There's a little bit more, Judge Not, unless they're really, really stupid. (laughs) Okay, there's a little bit more. LOL, just kidding, seriously, don't be so judgy. That's the title of our message today. And I'll be honest, the title is usually the last thing I do in my sermon prep, so that was a little bit of a last-minute call. Um, But we are going to talk about what does that mean. We seem to be in a moment where judgments come fast and furious, but discernment is at an all-time low. And Adam, I think, mentioned this a few weeks as well. We've never had more information immediately accessible, right? We've never had more information at our fingertips, and we've also never had a harder time knowing what to trust or who to believe. So much information, and yet it's so hard to uh, identify absolute truths. If we look hard enough we should be able to find someone of some standing that agrees with whatever our preconceived notions are. So if there's 99 doctors or 99 scientists or 99 experts, if there's one of the hundred that that we agree with, then that's who we're going to point to, right? Because you can always find somebody out there that agrees with what you hope is true. And so we're living in this moment where it's hard to know the truth and discernment is a challenge. And in our polarized world... Who's tired of the word polarized? I am, but it fits, so I'm going to use it. In our polarized wor- world, I see the way that we relate to each other and the way we communicate with each other deteriorating. And that's concerning. And so when I am afraid... Uh, That I'm seeing is instead of being a guiding light, the church is falling into some of these same traps. And we can trace a lot of trails here, but I really want to land in Matthew 7 today. Uh, So let's pull up our scripture for the morning. Thank you, tech team. You guys are awesome. Matthew 7, verse 1. This is about judging others. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judged, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right, so right away, I observe two, two problems or two challenges here in this passage. The first one is what we just see on the surface here, what the, pas- the problem that the passage is dealing with, our tendency to judge in an unhealthy way. So that's obvious. That's what uh, jumps off the page at you. But I also see another problem in that sometimes in our attempt to handle the Scripture we swing far, uh, too far the other direction. And what we do is we decide then to not judge at all. This becomes a favorite passage for anyone that would like to avoid any sort of accountability, right? If anyone comes to me to bring up maybe any of my issues, I can say, Matthew 7, mic drop. You can't judge me, right? And that is also a problem. Not judging doesn't mean to become oblivious to evil or to sin. And it stands to reason, actually, that the closer we grow to the Lord, the more aware we would become to things like evil and sin and injustice things that should be identified and called out in some way. So this may not be a popular thing to say, but the reality is is that the world does need the church to judge. The church should call out sin and injustice, but we're living in this weird post-Christian, post-religious society, this moment where uh, the society is seemingly less and less interested in what the church has to say. And so I think we have to start this conversation really with one question. How have we lost our voice? How has the church lost its voice? So I have a few thoughts, and we could probably add other things, but there's a few things that came uh, to my mind about how the church has maybe lost its voice, especially when speaking to things like sin, wrongdoing, injustice, immorality, and things like that. One is, at least in my lifetime, in the 30-some-odd years that I've been endeavoring to follow Jesus, it seems like the church has really been hyper-focused on very specific issues. Pet sins, so to speak. Uh, The church has been really focused in my lifetime, on sexual behaviors, orientation, alcohol, abortion. Those are the ones that I feel like, in my, in my lifetime, I feel like the church has really put a lot of their time and energy and attention to. However, at the same time, frequently dodging difficult conversations on issues like racism. Less conversation about things like that. And just yesterday, um, and, I don't want to. I don't want to beat up uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. too much, um, but I just couldn't avoid this example. Uh, yesterday, Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, had to take an, an indefinite leave. I believe he was set down by the board. He is the president at Liberty University, and he's been a bit of a lightning rod for controversy, and has been in the news many, many, many times over the past couple of years with some. Questionable things, and I won't weigh in on everything, and I certainly won't go uh, on through the entire list, but a couple of the things, I'll just mention a few things that did not garner any sort of disciplinary action. Uh, Just recently, uh, he was trying to make a point about the governor of Virginia, and he took a photo of the governor, a high school photo of the governor of Virginia, who is in blackface in this photo, big no-no. And next to a person who was in a KK costume, KKK costume and it was a costume party. And he created a face mask graphic and posted it on social media, which pretty questionable, right? No, no real disciplinary action there. He did issue a public apology, but there was no disciplinary action from the university. He has uh, started a think tank organization where part of their mission statement says that the <laughs> Jesus' teaching on turning the other cheek is no longer adequate in today's political climate. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and nothing. Um, he had mentioned also that his religious beliefs do not inform his politics, which was an interesting thing for a president of a Christian university, uh, to say, so what in the growing list of controversial things was the thing that got him in trouble? He posted on social media a picture of himself with a woman at a party on a yacht. It was a costume party. He's holding a fake alcoholic beverage, and uh, they're dressed oddly and it was a little bit suggestive. And so now, because of those, that photo, he's been put on leave. So if you, I'm not even going to argue in this moment, did the university do the right thing in sitting him down? Should they have sat him down before? Here's my point. My point is what, if you go on social media, you'll see how the world is interpreting this. And what the world is seeing is that all the other things didn't matter. Sex or the illusion of sex, or something somewhat sexually inappropriate, and alcohol, that's the deal breaker. And that's what the world is seeing, how we, how the church frequently treats some sins or some transgressions differently than others. So again, the point isn't whether or not they're doing the right or wrong thing. The point is the world is not oblivious. And even if the world isn't maybe so much interested in taking the counsel from the church, they surely are watching, and they're surely observing. And they see moments like that, and they understand something doesn't seem right. Not only that, but there also in in the church is often a hypocritical type of accountability. So we've already mentioned that the church has a history of wanting to tell the world how to approach sexuality, what's right, what's wrong, how we should dress, uh, what's promiscuous, what isn't, what's okay, and what's not, while at the same time, aren't we tired of hearing the stories of ministers and priests and these sex scandals, right, of abuse not only that happened, but were also covered up, right? And the world sees that, and there's a very obviously clear distinction for what we're saying to the world and then how we're taking care of our own houses and our own people, right? And the world's not oblivious, and the world sees the hypocrisy of accountability and how we issue uh, justice and things of that nature. So hyperfocus on specific sins, hypocritical in the way we approach accountability. And I think another way that we're losing our voice to the world is we seem to have a real focus on behavioral change versus heart change. So how much time has this uh, have us in the church? How much time have we spent lobbying for laws to be changed versus the harder work of transforming our communities, and seeing changes at the heart level. And please understand, I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in... Uh, political issues, I very much think we we should vote, we should voice our concerns. I know that there are plenty of laws out there that are not great laws. That's all good and right. But in comparison, how much of our time and energy are we spending doing the harder work? Are we putting all of our eggs in the basket of the political sphere, hoping that changing laws will do the trick? And our attempts at judgment are often too focused on working from the outside in, whereas maybe more of our time and energy should be spent doing the harder work, the relational work of impacting our communities and seeing hearts change and working from the inside out. And I think the world sees that. It sees our emphasis on hoping that what we're endeavoring to do in some ways is a bit of a shortcut. If we can just change the laws, the people will behave the way we want them to behave, right? And I think the world sees that. And I think maybe most concerning, not most concerning, but it's pretty concerning, is the way that we have a tendency to dehumanize people. This isn't actually an issue that's just in the church. I think this is a cultural issue, okay? Okay that we are dehumanizing people with whom we disagree. And I think part of what's happening too is that we live in a very complicated moment in history and we have this desire to, we have a desire for truth, but I think in our effort to to discover truth, a uh, a lot of times what we're doing is we oversimplify complex issues. I think we oversimplify complex issues. We want things to be right or wrong, black or white, good or bad, good or evil, hero, villain, right, friend, enemy. And we really want to oversimplify issues and sometimes people that are complex. Issues can be complex, and yes, people can be complex, And there's one trend that I really don't understand. Uh, It doesn't take a whole lot to confuse me. I get confused pretty easily. But I was reading a post. It was a graphic or a series of graphics. And it was about human trafficking, which uh, when it comes to abolishing, stopping, confronting, exposing the scourge that is human trafficking, I am 100% on board, right? Um. I am all in favor of doing what we need to do to stem that tide. And so I'm following along, and I'm like, yes, I'm with you. Oh, you know, this is terrible. And at the end of, you know, the statistics and all the things that this post was sharing, <laughs> at the end of the post it says, but you go ahead and keep arguing about masks. And I thought, what kind of bait and switch is this? You had me you had me what what is what is the point here i'm not even talking about you know what you think about masks is it dumb is it smart whatever that's not even the point the point is this implication that can we not have two conversations at once what what is happening are we really only able to give our and i get i get it we're finite people we only have so much time and energy and resources so i get that but i think surely we have enough reserves that we can hold multiple conversations at once so i for one would like to combat human trafficking and continue dialogue about the best ways to navigate this pandemic right what is it in our culture right now that is driving us to oversimplify complex things That's concerning. And I feel like the church is falling into this cultural trap. Instead of being set apart, I feel like we're falling in line. And so I think the church is engaging in these very same practices of oversimplifying things. One thing about judgment that it does in terms of dehumanizing people uh, judgment d- done poorly, I do think. I think of how a courtroom actually looks, and what you think uh, uh, when you think of a courtroom. To me, anyway, I think of the judge that's elevated, right? And I, I don't know if that's in every single courtroom how every courtroom is set up, but I feel like most of the movies or courtrooms I've been in or have seen, the the judge is elevated, right? And so, what is the implication there? I am above you, and so even if even if we're discerning, and even if we're calling out something that is wrong to a a brother or sister or challenging something like that, let us not feel like we are elevated above that person. A person, even if they are in the wrong, even if they have done wrong, we still need to recognize their need for grace and not disregarding that we need the grace as well. So I think these are a few things that point to, I think, what's happening in our culture and how the church is, has lost its voice or is losing its voice to the world. So, how do we get it back? How do we get our voice back? Uh, well, like most things in Scripture, uh, there are clues to how to move forward, and they're almost never easy. And this is, I think, the same. How can we get our voice back so that the world maybe can hear and take to heart what we have to say? Well, first of all, I think we need to start inwardly, which is never fun. Uh, But yeah, so let's let's look at the, the verse here again. So obviously, it says... Oh, I can read back there. Thank you. Oh, can we go back? I'm sorry. Can we go back to uh, Matthew? All right. So before we can take the speck or help our brother with the speck in his eye, what do we need to do? I keep saying obviously. Sorry. We need to take the log out of our own eyes. So if we're going to be a help to our community, if we're going to be a help to our brothers, if we're going to be a help to the world, where does it start? It starts with us doing the work Ourselves doing our own internal work, and so if I wanted to approach Ray, and I felt like Ray really needed to be—he needed to be called out on his compulsive lying. It's pretty obvious that if I am also a compulsive liar, it might be hard for you to take that counsel for me, right? If we're both compulsive liars, that's that's pretty. Easy to see. I avoided saying obviously that time, so it's pretty easy to see, right? The hypocrisy there is there to see. Um, but what if I'm not a, a compulsive liar, but I have a real rage problem? What if my life is a mess in five other ways, but I'm not a liar? So am I, am I in this situation well-positioned, Ray, to talk to you about your compulsive lying? Not exactly. I still don't know that you would be able to receive my counsel, if, especially if you know, man, my life is a mess. Hey, I'm not a, I may not be a compulsive liar, but my life needs some attention. And so it isn't just about the hypocrisy. And notice, too, it doesn't say take the speck out of your own eye before you deal with your, the speck in your brother's eye. It says take the log out of your own eye. It's actually a little bit nuanced. It's not exactly the same scenario. So the point that I see is not just avoid hypocrisy, but deal with your issues. Tend to your issues. Tend to your heart. I see the image of of an airplane. And what do they tell you? If the cabin experiences a loss of pressure, if you're going to help the little one in the seat next to you, what do you need to do first? you got to put your mask on first, right? If we want to be a help to others, we need to tend to our own health and to our own issues if we want to be a help to others. Are you with me? (laughs) Thanks. All right, thanks. Um, All right, so we need to deal with... We need to deal inwardly. We need to start inwardly. Another way that I think we can start to get our voice back to the world is that if we're going to endeavor to judge, if we're going to endeavor to speak justice and speak to the injustices of the world and to the morality or immorality of the world, one thing that would help is if we have a restorative focus over a punitive focus. A restorative focus over a punitive focus. But I need to draw this distinction. It can absolutely and should be a both-and proposition. Because we already spoke a minute ago about how the church has hypocritically hypocritically handled out, handed some accountability, right? Cover-ups and things like that. So... The point I'm trying to make about restorative focus over punitive isn't to say that there shouldn't be discipline, isn't to say that there shouldn't be consequences for action, but embedded even in those things, there should still be a hope and a goal to redeem and restore even the people that are in the wrong. Obviously, if we're talking about a situation where there's victims, we need to take care of the victims, If there's a case where there's injustice, then justice should be served. So this isn't an end around to get out of doing the time or being disciplined. It helps me to think of how we handle our own children. We have twins, and if one of the twins is pile driving the other twin, which hasn't happened, but if it did, (laughs) our first instinct is going to be what? What? Make sure, make sure the one twin is not broken in half. So help the victim, right? Get the victim to safety. Take care of the victim. Make sure that they're okay. Tend to their to to her needs. And then what do we do? Then we deal with the one that was doing the pile driving, right? Then we deal with that one. And depending on your household, that's going to mean. Time out, it's going to mean a loss of privileges. It might mean spanking. It might, whatever, whatever your disciplinary approach to parenting is, that's where the discipline comes in. But as the discipline, even as the discipline is being doled out, what's the goal? To ultimately get through the other side and restore the relationships. And so when we're dealing with people that are out of line or have done something wrong. We can initiate justice and we can initiate discipline, but maybe the world will help us, Well, maybe the world will hear us a little better if they can see that our hearts are to restore, not just to punish. We need to find the balance because we seem to exist in one of the two extremes. We either want to punish or we want to avoid punishment altogether. And we need to find a place where restoration and discipline can can coexist. The problem with this is that it demands more of us, right? It's easy to avoid punishment, it's easy to avoid discipline, and it's easy to dole out punishment. So it can be hard to call out sin. There's a, there's a degree of difficulty there. It can be hard to call out and to name an injustice. And it can be a little bit harder to initiate some sort of discipline. But the hardest work is the restoration because it takes investment. It takes relationship and it demands more of us. But it is a worthy exercise. It's more than, hey, you're wrong. See you later. Another thing that I think we can do to maybe start to win our voice back is to ask ourselves before we try and initiate any sort of judgment or any sort of calling out is, am I sure I'm right about this? Am I sure this is the right battle to fight? Uh, Can we see James real quick? James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's a few things in the scripture that you know, you just know that you know that you know that if you ask, the Lord has promised that he'll give, right? His presence, we, we know we can trust that his presence, that he'll be with us. But one of the things that he says he'll give us always is if we ask for wisdom, This is accessible to us. And the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. Two of those really jumped out at me. The wisdom is open to reason, and it's impartial. And so in these moments, before we approach people, if we ask the Lord for wisdom and discernment, and really ask ourselves, ask of the Lord, impartially and open to reason, Is this the battle to fight? Is this the right approach? Is this person actually in the wrong? The Lord, I think, will help us. And I have have an example of this that's terrible. (laughs) Uh, In middle school, I know that I've told this story before, but it just fits too well to not share it. Uh, A friend and I, we were trying to witness to a friend of ours who... Was If he was a believer, he was, he was on the periphery, and we were trying to win him over. He's a little rough around the edges, and he had a bit of a potty mouth, and so we had a standing r- agreement that whenever he let one slip, one of us would punch him. <laughs> and you might find this hard to believe. We've lost touch over the years. And if he is a follower of Jesus today, it had nothing to do with me. (laughs) Um, And I'm sorry to retell that story, but I only have a few examples in my life of forcibly, physically, forcibly, someone to, to follow Jesus. Thankfully, I only have a few examples of that. It'd be concerning if I had a lot of examples of that. So I can tell you without... Um, without a time machine and going back and interviewing my younger self, I can tell you right away that before we came to that decision on how to approach our friend, we didn't ask for wisdom. (laughs) We didn't ask, is this the right way to do this? It's a helpful thing to do, is to seek the Lord's wisdom. Uh, One other thing that stood out to me in Matthew is when you're talking about the person that you're going to help, they call him brother. Can you say to your brother, let me take the, out of this, the speck out of your eye, your brother? That, that hit me a little bit differently than normal because he didn't say stranger. He said brother. And so one thing that that communicates to me is that the closer we are to the situation the better positioned we are to help. The closer we are, the better positioned we are to actually help. It's a bit easier to call out strangers from a distance. It's also much more ineffective. And so even if we draw out a bigger circle, so we can talk about our family, we can talk about our friends, people that we know, and that those relational interactions. Let's make the circle a little bit wider. What about things out in the community? Are we content to be keyboard warriors? Or will we seek somehow to get involved and to get closer to, to the situation and give ourselves a better voice, a better understanding, and more relational capital to speak into those situations? All right, I'm going to try and wrap it up here. And lastly, I want to mention that one important thing that we need to do and that the world needs to see us endeavor to do is to remember anyone that you feel that should should be called into account, we need to remember their humanity and have grace. We mentioned this uh, a little bit before. But one thing that I've observed, and and I I took a little inventory last night, and I feel like I have a fairly good mix of friends that politically speaking, are on the, the, both the right and the left. Some of them more um, devout <laughs> than, than others. But one thing that I've noticed is that even the ones on farther out on either side who maybe have the stronger opi- uh, opinions about those on the other side, if they have the friends that they have that are on the other side, well, they're different Right? They're different. They're the exception. Why are they the exception? Why can, how can they have so much to say for the large population but compassion for them? Why? Because they haven't de- dehumanized them. Does that make sense? We have grace for people when we know even a little bit about their stories, when we know a little bit about them. And it helps us to not... Dehumanize them. We had um, this happened literally just yesterday. The timing was really strange. My lovely wife, my so sweet wife, on Twitter, put out just a little thing about a show. The show is called um, Love on the Spectrum, and we have you know a daughter on the spectrum, and so she made a couple comments about the show and encouraging people to watch it, and said some things about it. Uh, some of the phrasing from her tweet rubbed some people the wrong way. And so she got hit on Twitter with these people right away. Got shared a few times. So it went out, not not people that we know, but you know how Twitter works, right? It gets shared a couple times, and the next thing you know, uh, she's being challenged. And now, not all the voices were angry. Some sought clarification. And and it was, a, it was a learning moment. But it, to me, it was such a picture of what we're talking about here. The initial response for many wasn't, what, what did you mean by that? Help me understand what you're saying. Or, that sounds like this. Is this what you meant? That wasn't the reaction most sent. Most of it was condemnation, right? Judgment. Judgment. And you are a villain. The irony being, my wife's an advocate, right? She, she is, um, she's an ally, right? But we jump to these conclusions and we dehumanize people so quickly and instantly. And as the church, we need to avoid that trap. We can be better and we should be better and we can set a better standard. The truth is the world needs us to be better. The world needs to be able to look at the church and see people that can navigate difficult decisions, navigate difficult conversations, hold hard things, and speak truth to things. But in it all, even in the hard things, even in the discipline, even in the acknowledgement of injustice, still hold grace people. And that's what the world needs to see from us. And if they see that from us, maybe, maybe they'll start to listen to us again. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.